Hey, today I'm continuing our series. Uh, Carly, I don't know why I pick on you every service. It's like you are my prop. Um, but I'm continuing our series called Our, our Ancient Symbols. Uh, symbolism is really important to Christianity, to our faith. It always has been. And it always will be. In fact, Solomon, the wisest guy who had ever lived uh, outside of Jesus, he wrote some words for his own son. And, and, and in these words, which I'm going to share with you, he encouraged his son to wear symbols that reminded him of the foundation of his faith. Take a look at it. It's in Proverbs 6. It says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart and fasten them around your neck. See, that's the symbolism. And here's what happens. It says, so when you walk, they will guide you. When, when you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. Teaching is a light. Correction and instruction are the way to life. So today, we're talking about the heart now, I want to just put this out there right before we jump into this. This is a thinking message. Some of you are so excited. They're like, yes, I, I'm going to think today. Well, I hope you do all the time. But this is a thinking. I, I'm going to ask you to think deeply about what I'm saying. And, and I also will encourage you to listen to the podcast. It's usually up by about 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. And listen to this message again uh, it, because it's really important that you get it. So here's what I'm asking. Be analytical about today's message, but don't you dare put words in my mouth that I never said or take something out of context. It all fits together. That's really, really important, especially for today's message. So the reason is, is because it's important that we get it. It just really is. Now, the, the, the scripture I'm going to be talking to and really referring to all through my message today is found in John 15, 9. I would love for you to look there. Now, now the heart is the symbol of love. Does anyone love love? I do. I love because love, I love love because love makes me smile. My lover, Rebecca, she brings out the best of me and I gave her my heart and she gave me her heart and our hearts meet as one. You know, that's kind of love. We like love. But, but, but the heart symbol when it comes to our faith really came out of the medieval times because the heart was a picture it was an icon. It was, it was an image that spoke a thousand words because during the Middle Ages, very few people could read. Therefore, the story of our faith was actually told through different images, and this is one of them. It's the image, the picture of a heart. And, and, and the symbol that represents the heart of Jesus quite often has a cross even built into the middle of it to make the Jesus connection really clear. Uh, because the cross reminds us of how far Jesus was willing to go for his love for us, which I'm going to be talking about next Sunday. But, but Jesus was driven by love to take some action, because love's not passive, it's, it's active. And, and just as a heart is active, when that heart stops beating, everything's lost. If love ceases action, its motion and its rhythm, what happens is 
love no longer exists. So the heart's a perfect image for this. In fact, probably one of the most popular scriptures of all time in John 3.16, most of you have heard it before, you know it, God clearly states this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love is giving, so love is action. The Father, God the Father gave us the Son, uh, God the Father gave his love to us, and God, God gave us his Son so that love could just reciprocate. Love's powerful. Some of you, you want security in your life? Truth is, you're going to find it in God's love. If if you want joy, then you will discover it in the love of God. See, all God asks is that you simply do for others as he has done for you, because love demands action. Love is a verb. We love other people because... We're loved. Now, I want us to look at the scripture and I want us to, to drink this in. In John 15, 9, it says this in your Bibles. This is really important. And, and some of you may even want to put this to memory because this is good. Jesus says this. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey your com- my commandments... You remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And yes, your joy will overflow. So this is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. Okay, we've laid the foundation. Now I'm anxious to get down to business. Because love is one of the most twisted, most misunderstood, most misused terms in our society. And this is one of the things that's unfortunate to me that I see as a pastor is that many followers of Jesus, we really don't even understand what love is and how it works. Therefore, there are all these misconceptions about love that are abounding in the culture. And, 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 and the term love is used it's abused, and it's, it's redefined to the culture or the world's twisted version, ever-evolving version of love. And then the world will take their definition that they've created, their latest, greatest definition of the year, and then they throw that back upon Christians, followers of Christ, and say, you need to follow our new perverted definition of love. <laughs> so I think we really need to know what love is what we're really talking about. And and we really need to understand what this heart symbol really means. What it meant back then is what it means today. And what does it really, really mean? Well, it all starts off with this basic statement. Four words, Jesus loves us all. Now that's simple. That's easy. That's that's, that's an easy place to start. But, But the challenge is that in our English language, the word Love actually represents six different words that were used in Bible times in ancient culture. You know how English is. It's a ridiculous language. We're stuck with it because we speak it. But, but there are so many, you say one word, like what really does that mean? And, 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 and that love is one of those. Love, there is not a single definition for love, really. We need to, and if we're going to be talking about love as expressed through Christ and the church, then we need to go to the Bible definition of love. See, we use that same term love to say, I love coffee. I love my wife. I love vacations. I love God. 
you know, and we love our dogs. We love our mountain bikes. We love the abundant sunshine. We, we even use the terminology making love to describe sex. We love cheesecake or kale or sushi or actually I would say I love sushi and cheesecake but I don't love kale and do not bring me a kale smoothie because that's just not of God. I, I don't know. He, <laughs> he didn't create that. But when it comes to the love of God and how we reciprocate that love to other people, we actually need to go to the ancient Greek term where this originates and it's the word agape, A-G-A-P-E. I'm not here to teach you new language words, but this is where this one's important because agape is actually the central verb of Christianity. And, and this verb is the one that, that from it flows the actions of God and the actions of the true followers of Christ. Here's the definition that, that we have in the scriptures. Really, agape is this. It's undefeatable benevolence. Agape is unconquerable goodwill. It is always seeking the highest good of yourself. Did you catch that? That was actually a lie right there. It's, it's always seeking the highest good of the other person. It is self-giving attitudes and actions. And this is really important, this last part of the definition. It is a love by choice over emotion. Now, guys, that's what the symbol, the heart symbol represents. So when, am I, when I use the term love, this definition is what I'm referring to. And some of you may want to take pictures of it if you want to do, because this is important, because agape is the central verb of our faith. And, and there is no way in the world also, just to let you know, that I can cover everything today about agape. In fact, I've edited out about three quarters of my notes that I used to prepare this message and 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 I because I just wanted to talk about it, but you guys would be here until like six o'clock tonight. And, and, and since this message is actually all about thinking deeply, I have assigned you homework. You guys want some homework? I know you're, you're budding with excitement. I can't wait. Homework. Pastor's giving us homework. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to read the Bible. It, I know it's a little tough. Somebody's like, I don't know how, how to do this. You can do this. Your assignment is about to pop up on the screens. Again, another opportunity to use your cell phone. All right, here's your love assignment. Read 1 Corinthians I, you know, it's not 31, it's 13. That's probably my inversion that I gave you guys. There is no such thing as 1 Corinthians 31. You'll look all day and won't find it. And don't choose to write it on your own because it doesn't exist. 1 Corinthians 1, 3, 13, and read the book of 1 John. Now, 1 John is way back in the New Testament. It's not like the gospel according to John. I mean, you can read that if you'd like. I think that's good stuff. But, but 1 John, 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John is where you're going to get so much more self-teaching today. And, and, and you can do this later on this week. Please don't start doing it now. <laughs> but I want you guys to get a better uh, understanding. Get it into your heart of what this heart symbol is and how love works and how it really functions. Because agape, it works like this. God loves us. We love God. We love others the same way God loves us. See, now Jesus said it this way, and, and look at this. This is in Matthew 22. Jesus said it this way. He said, love or agape the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, the second greatest commandment is like it. Love or agape your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, Jesus basically said, if you can get this right, right here, this whole thing about agape, you will actually be able to live out your faith and do everything else that's in the scriptures because everything in the Bible really hangs on these two commandments, to love God, agape God, and agape other people. Now, guys, get this. The implications of this, it's huge. And if we can get this right, we actually simplify our faith. And that's my desire for you because it shouldn't be complex. It really is very simple. And this was Jesus' desire from the very beginning. Let's just simply make it simple. It's agape. In fact, we even learn in the Bible that God gave us a living illustration of this. He, he gave us this, this institution that we call marriage so that it would be a living illustration of how agape was supposed to work. See, marriage is this illustration of how God relates to us and how we relate to God. After I fell in love with Rebecca, we had to move beyond the feelings and the emotions. And so therefore what I did is I made a commitment to her because love commits. And Rebecca made a commitment to me as well. And our commitments were followed up by actions. And, and then on July 30th, 1988, before most of you were even born, we stood before our friends and our family members and we publicly confessed our love for each other at El Sendero de la Cruz in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and we entered into this covenant relationship called marriage. And we sealed the covenant with uh, these symbols on our, on our fingers. We placed these rings on each other's fingers. And that was the symbol of the covenant, just like the symbols that I'm talking about today. And the next step is she moved into my apartment. She moved in with me at Wilson Crossing Apartments in Cedar Hill, Texas. Now, of course, that's when reality hit because she wanted to have towels in the bathroom that were just for decoration. And if I wiped my hands on the towels, even sneaking to do it, somehow she knew she would find out and I was in trouble. And, and yeah, she would take, I'm sorry, guys, this is, the re, this is reality. Those of you who are not yet married, I just want to let you know, it's tough. And, and, then, and then she goes and takes all of my clothes from my, 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 my closet in the bedroom and she shoved them all still wounded about this today. She shoved them all into the hallway coat closet. <laughs> then my first day at work and she's there at the house by herself, she takes all of my furniture, my very special furniture, handed down to me from all of my college buddies, and she <laughs> threw it out on the patio saying it's junk. But we just kept loving each other because love is a commitment. I didn't feel happy about any of that. <laughs> It's that's actually, though, a parallel of God's love for us. Now, when we receive Jesus' love, we actually move in to what I would call Jesus' house of love. It's the original love shack, baby. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus, what he did is he 
already took action on his love for us by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And so then we reciprocate by committing our lives to him. And then we also seal it, much like a marriage. We seal it, not with a ring, but with a symbol, a public symbol called water baptism. That's why that's really, really important. And it's great. I mean, our sins are forgiven. I mean, it's, it's as if you have never, ever sinned in your life. That's pretty awesome. So the house of love is a really nice, fantastic place to be. And the door's open, and he's saying, walk in, come on in. Because in the house of love, you have security, you have peace, you have joy, and that's, that's the, the prelude to an eternity of pleasure that's ahead of you. And you don't have to fear judgment. You don't have to fear paying for penalties of your sins and your misdeeds because you are set for life. You are set for your eternal life. And we've moved into this house of love. Now, can anyone say that's a pretty good deal, right? It is. And the house is a pretty good place to be. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. But some of you, you have young children. And if your child were to uh, leave the house and wander off and you have no idea where they are, that would be a horrible, terrible situation. All my sons have tried it. <laughs> Uh, my parents told me that I tried it, and they had to sneak to catch up, catch me, because if they knew, I, they said if I knew that they were after me or calling my name, I'd take off running into the street and be gone, you know, and be, be you know, flat on the pavement. Uh, it, but it, it's a horrible situation when a child does that. In fact, honestly, it's probably one of the most terrifying thoughts of a parent when they realize that your child is missing. Your child is basically exposed to the elements. They're out there. Uh, and, and they don't have the ability to protect themselves against the aggressive neighbor dogs, or we can, you know, just call them the stupid neighbor dogs, you know, just call them what they are, or, or, or the crazy people that are out there. And God actually feels the same way about us. God wants us to stay in the house, but it's our choice, just like it was the choice of each of my kids, just like it was my choice as a little kid. I think I'm going to go leave and explore. Goodbye, house. So really what we need to do is we need to make a choice to remain in his love, which remain, that's what Jesus said, we need to remain in his protection under his canopy of blessing. Here's again how Jesus said it in John 15. He said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So, so here's what's interesting. Right here, we actually get a clear description of how to remain in his house of love and continue living in his house of love. It all really comes down to the rules of the house. And Jesus has house rules, just like all of us do. Now, look at that scripture again. It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Do you see that? Now, this is really, really, really important. Hear me well. God never quits loving us. He always has and he always will. In fact, it is impossible for God to not love you and me. But we actually move out of his house of love and we distance ourselves from his love by our actions. We can all do that by our choice. We actually remove ourselves when our lifestyle 
It's our new a way of living maybe that we've chosen is actually opposing Jesus' house rules. We remove ourselves from the house. Just like if you have a child that wanders out and leaves the protection of your house. You still love the child. You still care about the child. But he made a choice. And now, unfortunately, there's a potential for some very bad things to happen to that child. In the same way, we remove ourselves from God's love when we act outside of God's house rules, my terminology. So many people have this all mixed up, and, and I want to bring some clarity here. And that's why I'm asking you to think, because th- first of all, I want to make something really clear. At City Life Center, we, we like to say we're Bible-based, which means we always start with the scriptures. We do not start with the latest cultural trend or fad or political ideology, because the Bible will always outlast the cultural trends. It will always outlast the fads. It will always outlast any political ideology of the day. So the Bible's our foundation. It's a good foundation. It's a strong foundation because it has proven itself to last and to transcend every culture. It transcends every socioeconomic group. It also transcends every political system. Hey, guys, that's really quite amazing. And God's word is based entirely upon this one word, agape, love, and that's the symbol of the heart. So this is huge. See, love is found in the heart of God. And when we abide in that love is when we actually live according to God's commands. But love is not this popular word that we hear in our culture today, which is tolerance. Let me explain to you. Though there are two very different things. But unfortunately, the culture is Western European and U.S. American culture has actually attempted to redefine agape or redefine love as Tolerance. Basically, tolerance means this. It means that you're willing to put up with anything even if you don't agree with it. In fact, I, I researched definitions, and really the common definition for tolerance is this. It's, it's right here. It says, all values, beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims are equal and must be graciously honored. Tolerance equals love. Now, therefore, Based upon society's definition of tolerance, a perceived lack of tolerance, and a lot, quite often it's a perception of a lack of tolerance by this new definition, then equals hate. And so we, we have this mixed up philosophy that twists everything because with, with that definition of tolerance, there are no boundaries. It's like whatever you desire, whatever you believe, whatever you choose, however you choose to behave, we all have to tolerate it. I mean, come on, not even packs of wild animals do that. I mean, if that were the truth, the scriptures would say this, God so loved the world that he let us do whatever we wanted, even to the point of destroying ourselves because God doesn't want to hurt our feelings. (laughs) Come on, how utterly foolish is that? And, And please understand this. Intolerance based upon current society's definition, who knows what it's going to be next year, but the the current definition of intolerance, that doesn't equal hatred. See, I don't hate my son because I choose to not tolerate the fact that he left the house to wander the neighborhood. Does that make sense? You, You see how love, therefore, is being twisted today because tolerance equals love? The truth is tolerance does not display God's love because being tolerant refuses to lovingly confront the things that lead to death. See, tolerance doesn't care about a person's eternal value, but only their feelings and emotions at the moment. 
Now, in my church that I used to pastor years ago, and I, I don't know where these people are today. I haven't seen them in 15 years, and so I'm just going to tell a little illustration. There's this woman who came to church sitting with her husband, second row back, and I saw them. They were in the early, early service, the 8 a.m. service, that God-forsaken 8 a.m. service. And then, no, God was there, but I, I shouldn't have said that, but he, he didn't forsake it. I just, I forsook it. But... Uh, <laughs> They were sitting there in that, in that service, I was sitting right in the aisle, and I saw her, she had this huge black eye. And, and I, I didn't say anything, I was, I was the new pastor of the church, and, and, and I talked to some of the staff about it, I said, hey, do you see this, this lady's black eye, do you know how, how she's doing? They said, yeah, her husband beats her up every once in a while. I was like, oh yeah? But, the, but some of the staff members said, but we really want to love him, and so we don't address it. He, he goes to church, and he calls himself a Christian, but we want to just, you know, we want to tolerate that. I'm telling you guys, that's not love. So I chose to love him, and I told him, sir, if you beat your wife again, you're going to go to jail, and I'm going to turn you in, because you're not going to treat a woman that way. You, do you understand? Because I'm not going to be tolerant of something that is destructive. See, love is accepting the other person, but not the behavior. It means that I'm going to accept the other person regardless of who they are. Now, in contrast, tolerance basically means this is you become numb to the other person's self-destructive lifestyle, not loving them enough to help them. Tolerance doesn't care if a person dies or not as long as they don't have hurt feelings. And bottom line is the wages of sin is death and the gift of God gives eternal life. And God's house rules are simple, yet explicit. And uh, we've all broken them. But when we correct ourselves... We're safe. The Apostle Paul lists in one of his letters to the group of, of Christians, to a church, about some of this. He says, when, basically, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he said, the sinful nature is this. And you know, go ahead and put those up on the screen, guys. It said, the, the scripture says this. It says, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all the sins like this. Let me tell you, as I have before, this is a, this clear, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said that to people who are living under the love of God. So let's be clear, if you have a lifestyle that embraces these things, you're actually choosing to leave the house of love. And, and none of these sins are worse than another because sin is sin, and I love you enough to tell you that when you live this way, you're actually in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God. Why? It's because you've actually removed yourself from God's love. He, he still loves you. He's not changed his opinion about you, but you've chosen to live outside of his love. But God is patient. He's forbearing. He's also, though, not tolerant of your lifestyle because he loves you too much. And his lack of tolerance for your behavior is not hatred towards you. Because God will never be tolerant of a lifestyle that destroys his creation. Any more than I would be tolerant of my sons building campfires in their bedrooms because I don't want them to get their feelings hurt and because I don't want them to think I don't love them, so I'll let them build campfires in their rooms. See. I don't love the actions, but I love my campfire building son, though, because I don't want him to die in a house fire along with the rest of us. So let's stop twisting love to say that it's acceptance of any behavior in the folks that we love. The, the deception of this culture of tolerance is that the person and the action are actually one and the same. And the truth is, I am not my actions. If I sin, or let's change this, when I sin, God still loves me, but he doesn't love my actions. And Jesus never removes his love regardless of our behavior. In fact, that is impossible. 
That's how I choose to live as well. I, I choose to love others no matter how far uh, they, they've been removed from the love of God, no matter how far has, uh, a person has removed themselves, I'll still love them. God even says this, he says, I will never quit loving you and I never will. Expect love, love, and more love. <laughs> Isn't that reassuring? That, that's, that's unending love and that brings us to repentance and so that we don't stray out of the house of love. And it's important for us also to know that those who are not, this is important, those who are not a part of God's household of love, those who are not followers of Jesus, they don't have these same house rules. Why? Because they've not, they're not part of the family. In fact, I would say one of the things that gives Christians a bad rap a lot of times is when Christians try to impose God's house rules on those who have never accepted the gift of God's love. That's why many people in the culture will see Christians as being mean, because they're trying to enforce God's house rules on the folks who have never even chosen to be a part of the family. And guys, it just doesn't work that way. Instead, for really showing the light, love, and power of Jesus, then they're going to see that there's joy in the house of love. So this heart symbol reminds us that Christ loves us more than we could ever imagine and that he's never going to quit loving us. And no matter what, this family heirloom of this heart reminds us of joy. Jesus, he said it this way. He wraps up his little teaching on love this way. He says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy and your joy is going to overflow. And it's infectious and you can't hide it. You ever walked into a party and everyone's laughing and having a good time and, and it feels warm and inviting and you want to be there and you try really hard to, to get in, but maybe you're, you're sad and depressed and grumpy, but you can't stay that way very long in that atmosphere. And that's the atmosphere that should be happening when God's people get together. We overflow with joy. It's like a big pitcher of sweet tea on a hot summer day that's just overflowing and you go and you nudge it and you touch it and you're going to get doused. You even get near it and you're going to have to deal with some of the sticky overflow of sweet tea and you're going to love it. We're not even filled with sweet tea. We're filled and overflowing with joy. This means that joy gets on everyone who bumps into us. I'm telling you guys, that attracts others to the life of God, right? I have no understanding why some church atmospheres can be dark, sleepy, negative, or grouchy. I mean, to me, that's just weird. Uh, it really is. I, it's like, I don't think these guys understand the power of what is symbolized in the heart. And when God's heart gets inside of us, we enthusiastically say yes to God's house rules. And we go for that first one, first and foremost. Number one rule of the house of God is this. Love others the same way he loves us. It's perfect. It's awesome. It's unbelievably amazing. And no wonder I love abiding in the love of God because I get to love others. And, and just like the same way he loves me, it's not based upon what other people do or don't do. It's just based upon the agape in me. And Jesus made it clear. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. My challenge for you today is to take action. Express love to those who are in the house because there are some people who are in here, you're going through some rough stuff in the house. I'm saying, guys, let's love one another. I also am challenging you to take action outside the family and desiring to bring other people into the house where love and joy abounds. And that's a liberating way to live and that's the way of Christ. So today, if you're not living in the love of God because you've drifted away or because you've never even really been apart, I'm urging you to come home. If you're at home today in God's love, but you're not living the life of the overflow of joy, 
feel like you're kind of hanging out in your room all alone. And well, I urge you to open the door and come hang out with the rest of us and get around some folks who are overflowing with joy and get some spilled on you so that you can go out and make Jesus known because it's the best way to live. Let's pray. Close your eyes for a moment and I'm just going to ask you if you would like Jesus in your life, live your life with purpose. In the love of God, I want to include you in a closing prayer. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and let me know that I need Christ. Remember, God loves you. and He died for you so that you can have a life and everything changes today. Would you lift your hand if you need Jesus? Because I want to pray with you. Lift your hand for me. Thank you. Who else? Who else? You need Jesus today. Here's what I want to do. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Stand up, everyone. And if you, if you raise your hand, I want you, along with the entire group of believers here, to pray these words with me. Come on, pray these to God. Lock yourself in with him, everybody. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. Today I give up my past. I embrace the love you have for me. Thank you for letting me abide in your house of love. Today, your love becomes my core identity, and I choose to overflow with your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.